Hello, I'm Marvin Fant, and this is Fantline, where we're not afraid to speak truth, and it doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal, Democrat or Republican, because right always trumps over wrong. Enough said. have tried to tell us, and we'll see some more of this later on when I get into the religion section, that they have tried to say that black people were an extracurricular creation, that we did not come from Adam and Eve. We came from somewhere else. And so when you read the book of Genesis, uh, you might be tempted to swallow something like that if you don't know certain basic biblical principles. Because obviously, people came from somewhere. Now, in the Hebrew economy, when genealogies are listed, it is always listed by the male. Because the male carries the seed. Huh? If you go back to Matthew's gospel and look at the genealogy of Jesus, if you go back to Luke's gospel and look at the genealogy of Jesus, it only lists males. Because in the Hebrew economy, that's the way that they gave genealogies always by so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. It's always males and you never hear about the female, but you know that the males, you know that the males had to have female because if the male didn't have any female, then no more male could have so-and-so by beginning or begotten so-and-so because you can't have a child without a woman. Thank God for women. <laughs> Wonder can I get a witness? Amen. All right. Maybe I better say thank God for wives. No, thank God for thank God for females. All right. Now watch this. Um, so if you go through the book of Genesis in the beginning up to the Tower of Babel, you'll find these statements made over and over again, that so-and-so lived so-and-so so many hundreds of years and begot sons and daughters. And so that's the reason why it's not mentioned, because in the Hebrew economy, the genealogies are always listed by the male. So all the other people, they came from the same people, but they had sons and daughters, but only the sons were mentioned that had anything to do with the line of descent down to Jesus Messiah, okay? So it doesn't list everybody. I mean, you know that because there'd be billions of people that have lived on the earth since the Garden of Eden. I mean, you'd need a book bigger than this faith dome. Probably bigger to list every single male, but it's only list those that have anything to do ultimately with redemption and salvation. In other, in other words, the line that goes down. Look where I left off last time. We're talking about racism. Dr. Claude Anderson, who is black and the author of the celebrated book, Black Labor, White Wealth, in a public meeting held here in the Crenshaw Christian Center Faith Dome, said almost the identical thing that Mr. Kindle said, that was the one that we quoted last time, in reference to racism. Dr. Anderson, speaking to a mostly black audience, said, and I quote, I want, to un I want you to understand that you are in a very highly competitive situation. You're going to be competing to survive and prosper. And that's what racism is all about. Contrary to what anybody tells you, 
And I just saw a definition of racism in the Washington Post just last week, who is a noted columnist, who is a conservative. And what he was really talking about was prejudice and discrimination. He wasn't talking about racism, but he was mystifying the word. That's why I finally figured out why he's always on the wrong side of issues relating to black folk. He thinks a black person can be a racist. A black person cannot be a racist. Now, I said this before, I want to say it again. That's not to say that a black person cannot be racially prejudiced. That a black person cannot be a bigot. But a black person cannot be a racist because racism is about economics. It's not about color. Racial prejudice is about color. And anybody can be prejudiced. But only a certain group can be racist. All right, a black person cannot be a racist. Racism is a power relationship between groups of people. That's all it is. It means that one group of people have control of so much wealth and power and resources that it can deprive, hurt, and injure and exploit another group to benefit itself. Never, say never. never. Dr. Anderson goes on to say, never in the history of the earth have black folk ever controlled that much resources where they have gone out of their way to exploit, injure, and do something to whites. So therefore, racism only started in the 16th century. Racism. We're not talking about racial prejudice now. You got to keep those two things separated. Okay? When they began to commercialize slavery against blacks, that's when racism started. There was no such thing as racism before that. The other thing you need to know about racism is racism comes from the word race, R-A-C-E. Race means group. So whenever you hear people talking about you cannot prove racism because someone fires you from a job, they are absolutely right. And the power structure and all the white think tanks in Washington know that. That's why you can no longer prove racism. Because racism, hear this well, racism does not apply to an individual. It applies to a group. Because I discriminate against you, that's individual. That's personal. It's not group-based. And so you can no longer prove group-based discrimination. The second thing about the word race, which is very important, is that the word race means being in competition. Race means being where people are competing from here to there. And, and we're in competition. That's what racism means. Black people must learn how to compete and survive. Or not compete and perish. The system is stacked against you. And if we don't pull together, we're going to be in the dugout, not out on the playing field. We're going to be on the bench, not on the court shooting baskets. 
And that's how you subjugate a people, is keep them divided. And they have done a masterful job. Now listen, again, black people must learn how to compete and survive. Now, see, we're not talking about being against anybody. That's where everybody gets scared when you start talking about it. It's amazing. Every other culture group can come together and everybody thinks it's nice. But when black people try to get together, all of a sudden there's something wrong with that. That's a part of the mentality and the mindset to keep us divided so that we're fragmented and don't have strength. See, if you take a string, wrap it around your hand, just a little small string, and take the other string, the other end of it, and wrap it around your hand, and hold it like this and go, you can break that string. But you put 500 of them strings together, you will never break them. All right. Now, in my humble opinion, and that's the end of the quote, let me read that again. Black people must learn how to compete and survive or not compete and perish. End of quote. In my humble opinion, these statements by Mr. Keibel and Dr. Anderson say all there is to say about the definition of racism as practiced here in the United States. In other words, these two men have given us the technical definition of racism. However, in this segment of our teaching, my purpose is to talk about racial prejudice which traditionally has been interpreted as racism. That's what the average person thinks when he hears the word racism. He thinks racial prejudice. In a book entitled All God's Children, author Stephen L. McKenzie, associate professor of Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, Rhodes College, Memphis, Tennessee, copyright 1997 by Stephen L. McKenzie on page 122 makes this illuminating statement, and I quote, despite the progress of the civil rights movement in the 1960s and the following decades, racism is still very much an issue in this country. Racial integration, which has crept into schools businesses and other institutions in America, tragically has made little headway in the churches. Fannie Lou Hamer's observation about Sunday morning church service being the most segregated hour in America is as true today as it was 20 years ago. End of quote. From the same book mentioned earlier, author Paul Kinevel on page 121 says, from 1619, now I, I, I don't know, I have to read this, but you have, a, you know, have you ever been on a commercial airliner and right in the little pocket in front of you, they have little plastic bags in case you get air sick y'all have any plastic bags with you today? Because what I'm getting ready to share with you now may tend to cause air sickness to come upon you. But I hope you'll be able to maintain yourself. 
From the same book mentioned earlier, author Paul Kival on page 121 says, and I quote, from 1619 until slavery ended officially in 1865, 10 to 15 million Africans were brought here to America and another 30 to 35 million died in transport. A journey called the Middle Passage. In all, 40, conservatively speaking, 40 to 50 million Africans were abducted or killed by our white American and European foreparents, end of quote. Now, we just quoted a white man, not an angry black revolutionary. We just quoted from the book of a white man, Caucasian, Caucasoid, white, 40 to 50 million were abducted or killed by our white American and European foreparents. End of quote. That's awesome, to say the least. We get upset and righteously indignant, and rightly so, when we think about Adolf Hitler and the annihilation of six million Jews during World War II, which was without question a tragedy. But who gets righteously indignant and upset about 50 million black Africans who were abducted or killed by the forefathers of this nation. If you ever go to Israel on a regular commercial tour of Israel, the first place that they take you to is the Holocaust Museum. And it is a sick feeling that you get in your innards when you walk through that museum and see the photographs of what one group of men did to another group of men for no other reason than they were who they were as though they had anything to do about who they were. Where, where be the Holocaust Museum over 50 million black Africans? Well, I forgot they don't count, they're just animals anyway, so forget them. Oh yeah, that's the attitude, forget them. People wanna get upset, I start talking about this and people get upset, you don't get upset with the Jews for having the Holocaust Museum. And I agree with them, I think they ought to have it. Thank God they have it, and hopefully enough people with enough brains will go there and see that mess and be never be tempted to do that or let that happen again to any group of people. 
But what about the black Africans? Don't go there. Don't go there. I am. Don't go there. I ain't gonna say no more about that. Uh, what does he mean? Not for you, don't worry about it. Now listen to this. In the same book on page 121 and 122, Mr. Kaibo gives us an interesting view of one of our most cherished heroes, Abraham Lincoln. I always thought that Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves because of a heartfelt desire to do what was right in the sight of God concerning one man enslaving another man. In other words, rectifying man's inhumanity to man. According to Mr. Kyle, perhaps I have been wrong. What do you think? I quote, the Civil War was a complicated political, economic, and social event. And while slavery was a key issue, the abolition of slavery was not a strong concern of the American public. As Lincoln wrote in a letter to Horace Greeley, a journalist and political leader and contemporary of Lincoln, added, Dear Sir, I have not meant to leave anyone in doubt. This is Abraham Lincoln. Okay? Dear Sir, I have not meant to leave anyone in doubt. My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union and is not either to save or destroy slavery. They didn't teach you this. If I could, listen, this is Lincoln talk. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could do it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because it helps to save the union. End of quote. I mean, people, you wonder why we have problems. See, this, this, this thinking, this pattern of thinking, it has been passed on from father to son, father to son, family to family. See, people don't talk about it out in the open, but they talk about it behind closed doors, and they have these attitudinal ideas about black people. That's why this thing has continued to go as long as it has. And the church is the most guilty group on planet Earth in fostering this kind of thinking. That's an eye-opening statement, just what Lincoln just said, isn't it? <laughs> On page 122, Mr. Kyle makes an insightful statement that is sure to anger some. I quote, the second problem with moving on from slavery is that we rarely acknowledge the long-lasting effects of more than 200 years of slavery. Although slavery was officially abolished by the 13th Amendment in 1865, economic and cultural exploitation, everyday violence, including lynching, rape, 
physical attack and other forms of mob violence, political disenfranchisement, and also disenfranchisement, and also total segregation in the South and the North continued into recent times. We have had over 350 years of economic and cultural enrichment of the white community at the expense of African-Americans. The effects of that exploitation are in the present. End of quote. Now there's one last statement that I would like to quote from Mr. Kyle that I think puts the icing on the cake of this issue of racism in America. On page 110 he says, and I quote, we cannot build trust and an honest commitment to creating equality in this country if we are denying the injustices of the past. Our good faith efforts to change the system will not be taken seriously if we continue to deny or distort the record of white racism. End of quote. That's awful, but it's awesome. I hope you're hearing me. America has a lot that it must answer for. I don't want to want to get the I want I don't want you to get the idea that white racism is peculiar to the United States. It is worldwide. For instance, we have all heard of apartheid in South Africa, but we need to realize that most of our information about it is from the media, which is controlled by the white power structure. I think it will be of interest for our present study to hear from some Africans themselves who have had to live under the South African brand of racism. In a, the church and racism, a black South African perspective by, again, I apologize if I don't pronounce these words because they, I, I don't know what, let me, let me spell it, Z-O-L-I-L-E, Zolili, M-B-A-L-I. Z-O-L-I-L-E-M-B-A-L-I. Copyright by the same person. 1987. Published by SCM Press Limited, London, England. The author points up the same general facts about racism that we have already, have already seen in our study. On page 11, the author states, and I quote, so the economic reason for apartheid can be seen as cheap labor. America can relate to that because it be the past master of cheap labor. This nation's wealth was built on the back of cheap labor. Cheap meaning nothing. But let me, let me quote the author again. So the economic, and I'm quoting, so the economic reason for apartheid can be seen as cheap labor. The existence of cheap labor sustains the high standard of living of the whites. And this is an African, wrote a book in South Africa about South Africa. But you know that 
the devil has a MasterCard too. You know, he flies from one country to the other. So you know, he's not, not just limited to one country. It sounds like America, don't you think? He further states on page 15, and I quote, the World Council of Churches concern over racism goes back to the General Assembly held at Uppsala in 1968. Section 4 of the Uppsala report reads, A, in parenthesis, racism is linked with economic and political exploitation. End of quote. Doesn't that sound just like what we read from Mr. Kyle and Paul Anderson, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson? It's the same thing. See, racism is economic. <clears throat> we are back at the same point that Mr. Kyle and Dr. Anderson pointed out to us. Racism is, as I said, economical and political exploitation. Whether America or South Africa, it's the same old garbage. Mr. MBALI goes on to say on page 18, under heading B, rationale for an ecumenical program to combat racism. That's the subtitle. Okay. Page 18, under B, rationale for an ecumenical program to combat racism. Under numeral two, we have sadly to recognize that in spite of the battle that has been fought against racism by the churches, mission agencies and councils of churches with often heroic personal sacrifice, racism is now a worse menace than ever. We have also sadly to confess that churches have participated in racial discrimination. Many religious institutions of the white Northern world have benefited from racially exploitive economic systems. Many church members are unaware of the facts of racism and of the involvement of their religious and secular institution in its perpetuation. Lacking information about institutionalized racism and about the possibility of developing sophisticated strategies to secure racial justice, Christians Oh, Lord. Christians often engage in irrelevant and timid efforts to improve race relations. Too little and too late. End of quote. Now, I want you to get the enormity of this because this statement was made in 1969. Now, I want to refer to one more statement that Mr. MBALI makes that I think every American and every person who styles himself a Christian should think about very seriously. I think that the future of our nation and the church rests upon the recognition of the truth revealed in this statement. On page 17, Mr. MBALI states, under Roman numeral 2, recommendation regarding an ecumenical program to combat racism under numeral one, and I'm quoting, since its inception, the World Council of Churches has consistently denounced the sin of racism. Uh, you didn't get that. Oh, you missed a good time to shout. You missed that. Listen, since its inception, the World Council of Churches has consistently denounced the sin 
of racism. The World Council is saying that racism is a sin. And if it's sin, it should be repented of. And repentance means stop doing it. That's one reason why our nation is going through the hell it's going through. This nation has never repented. I said the nation has never repented. Listen now. Since its inception, the WCC, World Council of Churches, has consistently denounced the sin of racism. That's the bottom line issue. Racism, called by any other name, is still a sin. And sin must be dealt with. The question must be asked, how did or what allowed America to get into the position of being racist or color prejudiced against black people? How'd that happen? How'd that start? Where did it come from? We know that slavery was and is an economic proposition. But what conditions prevailed that allowed WASP, so-called Christian men and women, to condone racism and racial prejudice? And if you don't know what the WASPs are, W-A-S-P, I'll tell you. White Anglo-Saxon Protestants. I didn't coin the word, I'm just, this is a word I picked up in my research. That's how they refer to themselves, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. We need to look at that question. How so-called Christian men and women could condone racism and racial prejudice. We need to look at this very carefully so that we can see how to reverse the situation. We definitely have some monstrous racial problems, both in secular America and in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What could enter the minds of intelligent, rational thinking people that would cause them to mistreat a whole race of people who had never done anything negative to them, to treat them in a way in which they themselves would not want to be treated? The cause, the big lie, black people are inferior. This has been taught in the schools, in the homes, and in the history of this nation. The lie must be corrected. Some people will deny this assertion and will attempt to defend themselves. They will become angry with me and threaten to stop watching the program or financially stop supporting the program. All I can say is do what you have to do because I must do what I have to do. And notice I didn't say all. So if you're not guilty, you don't have to get upset. If you're not 
a part of the problem, then you must be a part of the solution. Jesus said it this way. See, there is no middle ground. There is no neutrality. Jesus said it this way. Real simple, cut to the chase. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you are against me. That's it? It's that simple. That's how he interprets it. You may say, well, I'm not for and I'm not against Jesus. I'm neutral. He says, if you're not for him, you are against him. And I say, if you're not for me, you are against me. Let's look at some historical documentation to see if there is any validity to what I have said in regards to the lie about the inferiority of the black man. If we do not know what causes our thinking patterns about other people, we can never make any corrective adjustments. Before we get into the historical documentation, I feel it necessary to address the possible criticism that may be leveled at me from some African-Americans concerning why would I bring up racism, racial prejudice, slavery, and all of the other unpleasant things of the past. Actually, that is a very legitimate question. And frankly, I really don't be, I really don't mind being asked. From a book entitled, The Journey of the Songhay People, copyright 1987, by Calvin R. Robinson, Redmond Battle and Edward W. Robinson Jr., the authors answer this question for me in a way that leaves little room for debate. Why would I bring this up? Why would we talk about all this stuff? Why plumb the depths of the past? This book, I don't even have to answer the question. They answered for me. On page 21 of this book, The Journey of the Songhay People, they state, and I quote, oh, you got to get this. If you don't get this, then you're not interested in blacks. If you're a black person and you don't get this, you're not interested in yourself. And if you're a white person and you don't get this, you're not interested in us. Now get this, I quote, knowledge of race history is to the race exactly as an individual's memory is to that individual. Uh, let, 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 me, let, me, let me drop that on you again, because that heavy. That it's deep. We get we going deep now. You got to get this though. 
You got to get this. Listen to this. Because I know that this is, see, this thing just went to the air today. Um, and, 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 and the rest of it gets to the air. People are going to, I know what black folks going to do. The fear folk. They, they, they're going they're gonna to get, they're going to be upset with me. They're going to denounce me. They're going to denounce me. They're going to talk to me. Now, you watch it. Your friends and relatives, they'll do the same thing. Oh, the house. Yeah, that's the house. I'm sorry. No, the fear folk, they're the good folk. Yeah. We're the fear folk. Hey, fear folk. I'm sorry. I meant the house folks. You know them house people? They're going to jump all over me about this. But here, get this now. Quote, knowledge of race history is to the race exactly as an individual's memory is to that individual. The masses of American the masses of African Americans suffer from partial cultural amnesia because of a certain deliberate program which wiped the slates of our memories clean of true African events prior to the cotton fields of America. But the monsters who per perpetrated this cultural genocide were not satisfied. After wiping the memory slate clean, they wrote upon those slates a series of vicious lies. They wrote on the slates, on the minds of all, black and white alike, that the African is really an ape which can speak. They wrote on the slates of the minds of all that the African evolved in the heartland of the jungles of Africa, where not even the faintest glimmer of light of science and learning could penetrate. They wrote on those slates that this African subhuman has neither the genetic ability to learn nor the ability to behave properly. They program all of this upon the minds of all, black and white alike, in the quote. I agree with this because the history of this nation bears it out. On page 23 and 24 of the same book, they ask an important question and answer it superbly. Why study modern history or any history at all? Two of the greatest benefits that can be derived from the knowledge of history is not only the receiving of a better understanding of the present, but more importantly, that knowledge of history will provide the information with which to shape the future. Place yourself in the position of a successful businessman who, as a result of an accident, has a sudden loss of your memory. You would not know where your office is, nor how to get there. You would not know what successes you had achieved, what you are supposed to do today, nor how to plan for future successes. For all of your knowledge and experience would be entirely lost. You would have to start all over again. You would not know the reasons for your present situation. You could not call on experience and knowledge to plan for a successful future. If your business rival stole your records, they could tell you all kinds of falsehoods. They could reduce you to an impoverished, blubbering idiot. That condition is called amnesia. Amnesia is not just limited to individuals. A whole race can have amnesia. 
It is a truism that history is to the human race what memory is to the individual. Now, that's awesome. But how true? Cicero, first century Roman writer, statesman, and orator said, and I quote, this is, this is awesome. Listen to this. There is very little that is more important for any people to know than their history, culture, traditions, and language. For without such knowledge, one stands naked and defenseless before the world. End of quote. We don't know where we came from. All of our names are white names taken from the slave masters. We don't know what our ancestors called us. They wiped the slates clean. That's why we've been defensive because we don't know self. We don't know where we came from. Someone else has well said, and I quote, he who does not understand the past is doomed to repeat it. End of quote. These statements sum up in a nutshell my reasons for bringing up the past. Moving right along. Let's examine some documentation that sheds more light on how this inferiority of the black man, black man lie got started. Oh, this, this is... In a book entitled Infected Christianity by Alan Davies, copyright 1988 by McGill Queens University Press, page 13, the author states, and I quote, the philosopher David Hume, who happened to be an 18th century Scottish historian and philosopher, the philosopher David Hume had this to say about the black man. And I quote, I am apt to suspect the Negroes and in general all the other species of men, for there are four or five different kinds, to be naturally inferior to the white. There never was a civilized nation of any other complexion than white, nor even any individual eminent either in action or speculation, no ingenious manufacturers amongst them, no arts, no sciences, end of quote. And I, I mean, I can understand how he could come up with that. I mean, I could see that. I mean, how in the world, I mean, you know, ignorant black folk couldn't have done anything but build pyramids. I mean, that's, you know, You know, apes, apes. <laughs> yeah, they, they built the pyramids and modern science, they still don't know how them folk built them to this day. They still can't figure out how they got them stones up on top. These are people that don't have no science. But these are the kinds of attitudes that have been promulgated down through time. 
And some of you got these attitudes in you now. You know it, and I know it, and God knows it. And you need to be cleansed. You need to be washed. And I need to quit because I am out of time. Thank you for checking out Fantline. Until next time, keep Jesus first and be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Thank you.